The Lord's Prayer may be the single set of words spoken more often than any other in all of history. Jesus gave us this prayer to teach us how to pray. But have we been learning from it? Or have we maybe never understood it? Or maybe have we been saying it so often that it has become so familiar to us that we don't even hear it anymore? Imagine you're going over to visit a friend who lives in a house right under the, the flight path for all the airplanes. And you're there, you're talking, you're visiting, and all of a sudden a, a plane comes screaming overhead. You just stop and say, what was that? What was what? What do you mean, what was what? What was that? I thought the roof was going to cave in. Oh, oh, that, that was just a plane flying overhead. I've gotten so used to the sound that I don't even hear it anymore. It, it doesn't seem possible, but it is. They're not that loud over our house, but they're enough, and I, I don't really hear them anymore. Maybe you've experienced that with planes or trains or whatever. We get used to something so much, it becomes so familiar that we stop hearing it. The same thing can happen with the Lord's Prayer. It, it can be possible that, that we hear it so often, or that we say it so often that it becomes too familiar to us and we no longer hear it, really. We don't understand it. We don't really know what we're praying and we no longer hear it, even if everything we need is right within it. A few months ago, the, the thought hit me as I was studying the, the Lord's Prayer with Elijah in catechism. The thought hit me that, that probably too many of us don't understand the Lord's Prayer. Probably too many of us have been praying these phrases, have been praying these petitions, maybe for a long time, uh, with, without really understanding at all what they're saying. And then no wonder we stop hearing it, right? And, and so that kind of, that thought a few months ago fueled the reason for the sermon series today. But as I studied a little further and as we got close to this, um, another thought occurred to me. It occurred to me that maybe there's even a more serious problem. Too many of us probably don't really know how to pray. Most people believe that prayer is a good thing. Even, even unbelievers, even, even some unbelievers will admit that, that prayer is a good thing, maybe for other reasons, but most people agree that prayer is a good thing, that prayer is something we should be doing. But the problem is we don't always know how to pray. We, we agree that prayer is a good thing. We agree that it's something we should be doing. But the problem is, how do I do it? How do I pray? The reasons that we start praying are the same. There's, there, there, are, there are things that, that you want, but you can't get them on your own, so maybe you can convince God to help you get them. So you ask him to give you things. Or there are things that you want to accomplish, but you can't accomplish them on your own, so you ask God to help you accomplish those things. Or maybe you pray for divine intervention, 
um, you're hoping that this certain employer you're trying to get a job from will notice um, your resume and, and will choose you for the job. Or maybe you want the certain girl to call you back. And so you ask God to divinely intervene, maybe change their mind just enough so that it works out your way. Or you pray for a miracle. You pray for God to heal you or heal someone you know. Or maybe you are... Um, you're, you're feeling guilty, so you pray for God to forgive you. you. You pray for God to take that burden away from you. Now, we can pray to God for all of these things, but the problem is that our prayer life often never matures beyond God, give me, bless me, help me, protect me, amen. God, give me, bless me, help me, protect me, 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 me. And every now and then someone asks you to pray for them. And so you do once. And then you go right back to praying for you. And ironically, ironically, this often leads us to become disenchanted with prayer. Because if we only ever pray for me and mine, if we only ever pray uh, me-centered prayers, guess what God isn't going to do? Answer. So if this is the only way that we pray, we stop thinking that prayer works. Because it's, it's, you know, that vending machine thing isn't working. God's not doing what I'm asking him to do, so prayer doesn't work, and so we stop praying. What if, what if praying to God to give me things was not the real purpose for prayer? What if God didn't give us prayer so that he could be a vending machine for us? What if there was so much more to prayer than asking God for stuff for me and mine. What if, what if prayer, what, what, if, what if asking God to give us things was like the garage and the rest of prayer was like the mansion but we've been living in the garage. We've been eating and sleeping and living in the garage and we haven't even gone into the mansion. We start praying to God to get things. We believe in God, but, but, we, but our true happiness is based on the things that we have and, and the, um, how successful we are. And so... We, we pray most often when those things are in jeopardy. We don't pray as much when all is well. Why? Because we tend to see God as a vending machine to give us the things that we want. We, we tend to see God as the means through which we get the things that make us happy instead of seeing God as the source of true happiness. And so we pray to God to get things, not to know God better, not to praise him, not to adore him. 
Christ is going to change all that. We, we shouldn't even begin to pray for all that we want until we realize that in God, we have all that we truly need. Until we know God is the one thing we truly need, our, our prayers often end up just being other forms of worry and greed. Give me. Bless me. Help me. Protect me. Prayer, if we can define it, I mean, it's going to take eight weeks to define it, but prayer is conversation with God. It's actually speaking to God and having him hear us. Prayer is conversation with God, the one who created us, the one who redeemed us. Not praying to God would be like not talking to your spouse. It'd be like not talking to your parent or not talking to your roommate. God wants us to be talking to him. God wants us to be praying to him. In fact, God commands us to pray to him and he promises that he will hear us. The Bible is full of prayer. I, you know, I, I wanted to get into this, but I, I think it's a whole other sermon. We could do a whole sermon on the centrality of prayer in the Bible. From the very beginning to the very end, it, it, his, God's people are always praying to him. It's always about prayer. God's people are always praying to him. It, it's just central to the whole Bible. And I think we would all agree here that prayer is a good thing, right? But the problem is, how do we do it? The problem often for so many of us is, I don't know how to pray. I mean, that's a question that, uh, how do you pray, is a question that a lot of people are asking. And, and I think we're all honest, all of us, me included. I think that's a question we could ask, you know, like, I, I kind of know how to pray, but I don't really know how to pray. And if we have that question, people who know Jesus, people who come to worship him here, if we have that question, think of how many people out there have that question. The problem for most people is that no one ever taught them to pray. That, 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 that is a real problem in our community, in our society, in our culture. Nobody ever taught me Nobody ever taught me how to pray. That's a sad thing to have to say. Prayer. Prayer is, prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things that he has for us. Prayer is how we finally treat God as God. Prayer is, is the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn how to pray. We have to. But no one ever taught me how. No one ever taught me how to pray. All I know is give me, bless me, help me, protect me. I don't know how to get out of the garage and into the mansion. Think about it. How do children learn how to speak? 
by being spoken to. Children's ability to communicate is profoundly affected by the number of words and by the depth of vocabulary that they are exposed to while they are infants and toddlers. We learn how to speak by being spoken to. So how do we learn how to speak to God? By God speaking to us. By being spoken to by God. The Word teaches us. So how do we learn to pray? How do we learn to speak to God in prayer? Jesus' disciples wondered the same thing. And so they asked Jesus how to pray. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. You see, they had been, they had been hearing Jesus pray for a long time, and the way Jesus prayed was, was different from everything they certainly had learned in childhood or any kind of model of prayer that they had uh, seen. So they, they, they said, Jesus, Teach us how to pray. And so Jesus taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, is really a model, a template of prayer that teaches us everything we need to know about prayer. All, all, of, the, all of the doctrine and teaching in the whole Bible is condensed into this one prayer. Everything we need to know is in there. And, and the more we understand this model prayer, the, the more effectively we will be able to pray all of our prayers, the more blessed our prayer life will be. Um, Martin Luther said that the Lord's Prayer sets our priorities straight about what should distress or concern us the most. And he said the Lord's Prayer is how we learn how to truly pray and not instead of just praying coldly, or indifferently. The Lord's Prayer is how Jesus answers the question, how do we pray? So look at our text. We're going to start in Matthew, which is our text, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, there is a hypocrite way to pray, and there is a pagan or unbeliever way to pray, and then there is a believer way to pray, a, a way to pray when you have a relationship with God as your father. Hypocrites, hypocrites pray so that everyone can see that they are praying. Hypocrites pray out in the open so everyone can see them praying so they will be impressed by them. And their reward is that everyone will think they're awesome. Don't pray that way. Pagans pray, unbelievers, unbelievers pray um, by babbling words. By babbling words as if, uh, as if some kind of magical spell or incantation that is going to somehow give them some favor with whoever their God might be. But, but it, not conversation at all, just magical spells, babbling, meaningless words. 
I, and I have, I have to say, I've heard, I've seen people using the Lord's Prayer that way. Just, just speaking it, babbling it, maybe even over and over again, as if it's some kind of incantation, as if it's some kind of magical spell that is going to earn us some points with, with God instead of using it as the conversation that it is. Don't pray that way. You have been given a relationship with God as your Father. So when you pray, when you pray, have a conversation with your Heavenly Father, just between the two of you. Spend some quality time with Him. You can't see Him, but He can see you. And He already knows what you need before you ask Him. That's that's pretty cool to have a conversation with someone who already knows what you need before you ask them. You, you know how sometimes we have conversation with someone and it just, it just somehow, something's not hitting. You're, you're not understanding. You just can't get your point across and they're, they're not really hearing what you're saying. You can't communicate. Um, and, and there's some difficulty there. When, when you talk to God, he knows exactly what you mean. He knows better than you know what you mean. He, and he already knows what you need before you ask him. Th- this is a great conversation to have. You know when you're just clicking with someone, how wonderful conversation. They, they get you, right? And, and, and those are enjoyable. Those are pleasurable uh, conversations because they get you. They know where you're coming from. Well, if someone gets you, it's God, your father. <laughs> no one gets you like him. He knows what you need before you ask him. So here's the big thing. On what basis... On what basis can you approach God? On what basis can you approach the the God of the universe in prayer? What is the basis for your relationship? There's a couple different basis that could be um, used for relationship. And one one basis would be a contract. This is a two-way thing. I do something for you, you do something for me. Let me give you an example. You can ask to stay at someone's house on the basis of a contract. We call it renting. Um, so you can, uh, you, would be the, you would be the tenant, they would be the landlord, that would be your relationship. And so you drop a contract w- that would have all kinds of terms and conditions on it. And as long as you fulfill and keep all the terms and conditions of that contract, you would have the right to stay in that person's house. But the moment you stop keeping the terms and conditions of that contract, contract ends. And you no longer have the right to stay in that house. All right, that is one basis for a relationship, a contract. Second basis for a relationship would be family. I was one of six children growing up in my parents' house. Six of us living in their house. And they didn't charge us rent. We were staying in their house for free, eating their food for free. No rent. How is that possible? How could they have let six human beings live in their house, eat their food? How is that possible? It certainly was not for the fact that we earned it by our performance, by being good kids. Any one of you with kids here today knows exactly why that's true. In in fact, there probably were plenty of times that our behavior would have disqualified us from being able to live in their house. But we stayed because we are family. And on that basis, we had the right 
to stay in their house and eat their food. We're family. You see how that's different than a contract basis, right? Because I'm sure that everyone here has some family member, um, you know, what, maybe a brother or sister, maybe a, a crazy aunt or uncle or somebody who, if they were not family, they would really have no part in your life because of how annoying they are to you. But they are family. And so you have that relationship with them, whether they deserve it or not. So what, those are, those are the two ways to approach God. Those are the two bases for relationship. Those would be the two ways to approach God in prayer, contract or family. Which one do you approach God with? When you pray, which one of those two bases do you approach God with? If, if you are getting mad, if you are getting angry because God isn't answering your prayers the way that you would like him to be answering those prayers, you're approaching him on a contract basis. Or if you are feeling guilty because it doesn't seem like God is responding to you so you think that he must be, you know, upset at you or angry with you, that also is contract basis. But God invites you to approach him as a family member. Here's how Jesus goes on in Matthew. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Notice, it is how, not what. Jesus says this is how you should pray. He doesn't say this is what you should pray. Jesus does not say these are the exact words that you should pray every single day. He says this is how you should pray. Here is a model. Here is a template of prayer that can help you use and utilize prayer in every situation in your life. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Okay, he doesn't say, this is how you should pray, O Almighty God. He doesn't say, this is how you should pray, O Ruler of the universe. He could have, because God is those things. But that is not the basis by which we can approach him. We approach God as a family member. He is our father in heaven. Yes, he's our king. Yes, he is our creator. But we can call him our father. And when we start praying this way, approaching God as our father, we understand the basis by which we can approach him. Family basis. He's our father. Namely, the basis that we can approach him is that you have been adopted as his child. God adopted you as his child. He has adopted me as his child. He is our father. And that is why we can approach him in prayer. How did he do that? How did, how did God adopt us? Let's, we're going to look at Galatians, the text we had earlier, um, to just find out exactly how that's possible. So I'm going to read verses 26 to 29 from Galatians, where it says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it, it says sons. Now, there's, in the, in the newer translations into English, a lot of times they just use the male pronoun to, to talk about children. You know, they'd say sons, but today we'd say sons and daughters, and, and that's acceptable, but not here. This does not say sons and daughters. This actually says sons. But to understand why it says sons, we, we need to understand a little bit of the, um, the legal practice of adoption in the ancient Roman world. A wealthy man had to, to will his estate to a male heir. A wealthy man needed a male heir to will his estate to. He could not leave it to a woman. He could not leave it to his wife. He could not leave it to a daughter. Had to be a male heir. That was their culture, their society. So if he did not have a son, he would legally adopt a slave or a servant who would then become the legal heir to his estate. So what God is saying here is that no matter who you are, no matter who you are, no matter what race you are, no matter uh, whether you're slave or free, man or woman, if you have faith in Christ as your Savior, then you are legally adopted as sons, as heirs of God's house. When you were baptized, when you were baptized, God now looks at you and sees a true son. God looks at you and, and, and says, I see Jesus. I see my son. I see my heir right in front of me. No, ma no matter what your, your race, your status, your gender, man or woman, God sees you as his son. God sees you as his heir. So as an heir, what do we inherit? Look at verses 4 to 7 from chapter 4, just a little further into Galatians. What do you inherit? Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So we had no rights because we had all sinned under the law. So Jesus said, okay, I will go and live under the law in their place. And because Jesus did that for us, we have now been adopted as sons of God, as heirs of God. We have been adopted into sonship. And so now as his sons, God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts so that you and I, just like him, can also cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, when we pray, when we pray, we get to address almighty God of the universe, not only as Father, but Abba, Papa, Daddy. That's term of endearment for Father. Not just formal father, but dad. You get what a big deal this is? We are God's children. We are his heirs. We get to call him 
daddy. Because we're his heirs. If, if we would if we would actually live our lives understanding what it means to be God's heirs, it would make all the difference in the world. If we would actually live just understanding what that means, it would, it would make all the difference in our lives that you can imagine. Imagine, imagine an eight-year-old child playing with a, a toy truck and it breaks. And he's, just, and he's just sad, and he starts crying, and, and he's inconsolable, and he, and he sobs, and he cries to his parents to fix it. And while he's crying, his father says to him, a distant relative of yours, who you never have met, just died and left you a billion dollars. What will the child do? Probably just cry louder until the truck is fixed. Isn't that us? I mean, isn't that us? That's us, right? Don't we worry and cry about the silliest stuff when we are heirs of God Almighty? Don't we uh, worry about the, the smallest problems when we are heirs whom the God who created this whole universe loves beyond anything we can imagine? Isn't it silly to worry about anything at all? Isn't it silly to, to cry about anything at all in that way, that, that hopeless kind of crying? If you were adopted by a multi-billionaire and one day on the street you got mugged for $100, would that ruin your day? <laughs> you could care less. $100? Here's 1000 Here's 10000 I'm a billionaire. Take it. Friends, we have been adopted by, we have been adopted as heirs by the God of the universe. We can't even imagine the things that we get to look forward to. To be adopted by God means that he loves us as if we had done all that Jesus has done. And when God invites you to pray, our Father in heaven, he's inviting you to remember that you can approach him as children approach their dear father because you are an heir of eternal life. He is inviting you to remember that he has done all of this for you, his child. How? How did God do all of that for us? How did, how did God give us such access when we certainly have, we know we all know that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that we have lost uh, any right to have that kind of access with God. How did God do that? God did it through his sinless son, Jesus. Jesus, he always prayed, my father. Every time he prayed, Jesus prayed, my father. He had the right to approach God that way. But there was one time that Jesus did not pray that way. There was one time that Jesus did not pray, my father, but my God. There was one time that God was not his father, but his God, his judge. He was hanging on a cross. Even though he was perfect. And God, his father, had done what fathers cannot do. Abandon his son. Why? 
because Jesus came and lived under the law here as one of us, and he did it perfectly in our place. And then he said, Father, put their sins on me, which God did. And then God had to punish him for our sins. God had to forsake him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why had he forsaken him? So that he could welcome you into his family. Jesus lost the relationship with his father that he deserved so that you and I could have a relationship with God as our father that we didn't deserve. So Jesus paid the price so that God could be our father. So that you and I could pray our father in heaven. So friends, we're learning how to pray and Jesus is teaching us here. When you pray, when you pray, start with the fact that you have been adopted, that you are God's child. To call God our father is to pray in Jesus' name. One more thing, you, you know how it is with kings and, and royal uh, protocol. If, if you remember the story of Esther in the Bible where, where she couldn't, you know, she had to approach the king to ask him this very important favor, but no one was able to approach the king. And if you, and if you ever approach the king without, um, without his permission or approval, you would lose your life. So that was just the royal protocol for kings. You, you can never walk in the presence of a king or else on penalty of maybe your life. So let me ask you something. Who has the right to walk into the king's bedroom in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and wake him up at 3 a.m. to ask him for a glass of water? Who has that right? His child does. His child does. That would be unthinkable for anybody else. But his child has that right. His child can walk in with all boldness and confidence in joy because he's his child. She is his child. Friends, you, you get to pray to God. You have the right to pray to God at any time because you are his child. And notice it's plural. Our Father. That means we can pray it together because he is our Father in heaven. Amen.